I'm Matthew McCabe. Welcome to Miracle Voices. Each episode, we will be delving into stories of forgiveness, healing, and transformation that have come about from integrating the principles of the book, A Course in Miracles. If you want to learn more about A Course in Miracles, visit www.acim.org. If you'd like to visit the Miracle Voices site, please go to www.miraclevoices.org. If you feel inspired to make a love offering, please visit us at miraclevoices.org forward slash donate. All donations go to support the work of the Foundation for Inner Peace, the publisher of A Course in Miracles. Now here's your program. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of Miracle Voices. This is your co-host, Matt McCabe. I'm here with my co-host, Tam Morgan. Tam, how are you doing today? Doing well today. Ready for this incredible podcast. Oh, great. And mm-hmm. our guest is Surya Asija. Surya, welcome. Thank you. So glad mm-hmm. to have you here. Tell us where you are in the world today. I'm in Michigan, nice and bright and sunny today, 60-some degrees, perfect weather. Oh, good. Good. Wonderful. Well, I think a great place to start is how A Course in Miracles came into your life. Would you mind telling us? Yeah, through Gabby Bernstein. <clears throat> okay. So she's ah. in famous author, speaker, healer. And I've been following her for a while. And through one of her podcasts, she mentioned Course in Miracles. And then Marianne Wilson, Marianne Williamson, I think that's her last name. Mm -hmm. She also has written a book based on Course in Miracles, which I actually picked up first. And then I got the book. Okay. Yeah. Gabby Bernstein, that's like the negativity detox or something like that, right? (laughs) <laughs> good energy good energy yes good okay. energy yay good yes i actually went to a talk of hers once and she she is just vital good energy she completely just, i mean she transforms the energy of the room yeah she really really is very scintillating is my word for her exactly wow wish you could bottle that right we can it's called the happy dream yes good point mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, Surya, maybe you could tell us, like, give us a little timeline of when you first picked up a course and how it's had an impact on your life. Well, I picked it up, I think, earlier last year, okay. and uh, it's it's an amazing book. I mean, first when I was I was hesitant hesitant in picking it up because I am a, I'm a spiritual person rather. I'm not a religious person. And mm-hmm. even though I come from India, where we have so many religions and so many caste systems and stuff. It's just that I never felt like I belonged to any of those. Mm-hmm. I just had a different, I guess, mindset from, from the time I was born. So I was hesitant in picking up Course in Miracles. But when I realized it was coming from Gabby Bernstein, who is herself a spiritual leader, and she kept saying over and over again, it's not a book on Christianity. It's not a book on, I mean, even though I love Jesus Christ, I love Allah. I've been reading their books since I was a kid. But she kept mentioning it's not a religious book it's for spirituality and that's when i picked it up and yeah i loved everything i was reading in it i mean it completely resonated with what i was feeling what i was thinking the way i was trying to live my life so yeah okay and uh, what was when did you come over from india i came from india in 2001 okay and what, what brought you yeah what brought me my husband actually we had an arranged marriage. He was born and raised here, and I was born and raised in India. And we were brought together by his extended family back in India. 
my family we met we met for a day and a half and a week later we got married mm. and six wow. months later i'm here okay. wow okay. wow and and six months later you're here on our podcast <laughs> correct <laughs> yeah. just amazing amazing path um just because i always ask these personal questions um how was that for you? I mean, I know you've been raised for that to be your norm, but how was that for you leaving your world um, or your perceived world uh, in India, coming here and um, and finding this way of being? It was tough in the beginning. I'll, I have to say it was not easy, but I try to keep an open mind and I'm here with a complete stranger who have no idea who he is what is background, what is lifestyle. It was just difficult. And I don't know if you've ever been to India, but it's a noisy country. You're never alone. <laughs> you look outside your window, there was always some honking, somebody screaming. It's There's always noise. And here I come and I'm looking out the window, it's dead silent. <laughs> so I'm like, where are all the people? So thankfully, my husband was working from home, but I tortured the crap out of him because I was literally, oh, hey, hi, hello, are you free? Sit with me, sit with me. It's just difficult. But first thing he did was get off my back. So he got taught me to get a driver's license and go become independent and then he said our nail salon our hairstylist said hey we are always looking for a nail tag why don't you become a manicurist and join us i'm like okay so I did a three-month nail course and i started working at a jc penny and i literally got off my husband's back and then ever since then i've been kind of independent and then i started to interact with people and start started creating my own circles my own friends and then it kind of got easier and honestly 22 years later i love the silence <laughs> uh, I love yeah. the silence. I will trade that. I mean, literally, this. I I just need this quiet. Uh, yeah, interesting. A lot of yeah, wide you know, open spaces. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, you go, Matt. I was just gonna say, I I did a bunch of camping as a kid in Michigan, and there's a lot of wide open spaces up there, like especially in the Upper Peninsula. But it's there's some nature. Well, Michigan is new for me. I'm still adjusting. I just moved here last July. But oh. Wisconsin has been my home for 21 years. Ah. Ah. Well, but Michigan definitely has more greenery, more lakes. Definitely. Um, I was saying that I grew up in New York City and I was so used to the noise that mm. when I moved to California um, and I, outside of San Francisco, it was so much quieter. And I went in and I had to get um, an MRI one of those machines where it, they bang, bang. It sounds like someone hitting on your head for the whole oh. time. And I went in and I fell asleep in it. And the nurse pulled me out <laughs> thinking I was dead. She's like, what's going on? And I said, oh, it reminds me of being a home in New York with jackhammers. I, got <laughs> I found my silence amidst the noise. And she said, no one ever does that. So. <laughs> I do know that as well as being able to relate to you about India. I lived in Nepal for quite a while. Oh, yeah. I traveled through India as well. And um, the the noise level is a huge adjustment, even from someone yeah. from New York to noise and space. There's no like personal space. And, exactly. There's no personal so, space. You're right. Yeah. And it's it I, it's also in a strange way when one gets used to it, very comforting. So I can see the shock that you must have had. Um, and also, as you move to the silence to 
enter into a world of course and miracles where the truth is in the silence um, exactly. as well exactly. within ourselves within ourselves yeah so it, it, it almost sounds like it was a training a spiritual training that you had to embrace it was, it was a journey yes it was a transition it was a journey to put me on my path and my purpose 100 percent. yeah yeah very <sighs> interesting and then you pick up a course in miracles you start reading it right away or doing lessons or what happens next Surya? I was just reading one at a time and I was just taking my time. I'm not still done with it. I'm still in the process of, I don't want to rush into it. These, this kind of, this kind of books, you can't read them like a fiction book. You have to read it. You have to read, reread it again and again. You have to live it. You have to process it. You have to practice it. So that's what I was doing. I, so I still have ways to go, but I am taking my time. It's not lifelong. It's a life lifelong I guess practice. It's a lifelong yes. journey to get through that book, and I'm not in a rush at all. And and Sergey, it you're never really done with it. If I mean, if yes. your commitment is the way of the course, yes. it keeps. I mean, it's seemingly I would say keeps growing as you grow, but it it doesn't grow as you go. It grow. It meets you at whatever level you're at. So the deeper you go with it, the deeper it reveals different things to you. If you ever feel like you're lost, you know, you can always go back and find your answers. Yeah, absolutely. That's important. Yes. Well, welcome. Welcome to this journey through the course. Thank you. It definitely seems to have prepared you for it. Yeah. And, Whatever and my your, purpose is, yes, 100%. And your acceptance, I mean, I'm still going back to because I always find it amazing your acceptance of your situation and your path with a stranger as you say who you've never yes. met before and you're you're brought to his world um that is a course practice in itself if one if one lets go and releases into it um if one rebels it's a whole other story but to to move in that and to see another person who you're sleeping with who you're creating a whole life with as not separate from you, but part of your path is, um, it's a deep course practice in itself. It is. I mean, it's, it's, the thing is, as humans, we are conditioned to be in control, in charge. We are trained that way. We are raised that way. We have seen that around us, our parents, our grandparents, that we create our own des destiny and all that stuff. So we, but beyond that, I mean, I don't know, for whatever reason, when I was in my teens, I used to sit on my in my in my front yard and just wonder what is the purpose of this life? Are we just born to just grow up and make money and feed our families and grow old and die? Or is there something else beyond this? And that question completely has been my guiding light through and through. And knowing and believing that there is something higher than us. And trusting that higher power is what I guess is it's it's like a trust in the universe is what led me. To be with this person, complete stranger who I don't know who you are. And yeah, that's, that's, I just completely put my trust in the universe, knowing that everything has a reason. Everything happens for a reason. Nothing happens without a reason. And that continued to, you know, my, my life continued to unravel just and, like that. And does your husband share this point of view or? No, but he supports me. So he's my he's been my backbone. I mean, he has always had my back. So whatever I wanted to do, whatever path I pursued, he always supported me. That's beautiful. He dabbled around. He has not picked up the course in the course yet, 
but maybe I'm hoping keeping my fingers crossed someday. Mm -hmm. Surya, we'd love to hear your forgiveness story. Yeah, my my forgiveness story actually happened. It started with my my parents. So I had a very rough childhood. Well, I was one of three siblings. All three of us had a rough childhood. I don't like to play the victim card. It's just that I was the youngest. So my brother in India, I don't know if you know that the boys are given a lot of attention because they carry the family's name. So he got, always got a lot of attention from my mom. And then my sister was in between and she was always a sickly child. So she got a lot of attention because she was always needing attention because she was always getting sick. So I was the youngest one who kind of didn't exist. I was like a fly on the wall. So I just went along with everything. So I felt neglected in a way. And then uh, having to hear from your parents, even though they're joking, that we wanted a third one as a boy. And then you came along. When you hear that when you're six or seven years old, it kind of sits with you. And you wonder, well, why am I here if they never wanted me? So I was never, never wanted. And then you see this dynamic in your family where there's this brother, my brother's, I mean, they're the chosen ones. They are the preferred ones. And I'm not, hey, you're there. We just have to deal with you. So that sat with me for many years. And then I was also on the heavier side. My brother and sister were always skinny. Whatever they ate, nothing bothered. And then I put on weight. And every same thing I would eat and I would start putting on weight. So I was picked on by my brother, my dad, by their friends, my friends, my sister's friends. So kind of bullied, made fun of all my life. So I started developing a lot of resentment and anger. That was my, I guess I would say, food was my comfort. And fighting back was my way of defending myself because I had nobody else to defend me. So I had to defend myself, which where is where I, my anger, pushing people away, retaliating every time somebody judged me, picked on me, said something negative about me. So that continued through my teen years and in my young adult life, in my 20s, and also had some terrible relationships because of that. Then finally got married to my husband. Well, he didn't know me, thank goodness. <laughs> so he got married, he married me. And then we got married and we, I came here and then we literally butted heads for many years, for a few years, because we both are strong personalities. He, I like my independence, he likes his independence. And, but finally, a year, two years later, we kind of adjust, just started adjusting and accepting each other for who we are. So that's our dynamic. And we figured it out. And finally, the relationship between us is great, but it's just that I kept holding on to that resentment about towards my father and my mother in the sense that my dad was abusive towards my mom. <clears throat> he, he didn't send me to college because I wanted to study. I always wanted to get a degree and get a good career and stuff, but he never supported that. He wanted me to get married when I was 18. He tried to get my sister married off when she was 18, but she ran away. My brother went to the army, so he had no way to, no need to come back. And I was stuck there with my mom and he was abusive towards her. So I couldn't leave her there. So I took her and we also left because I didn't want to get married at 18. I wanted to study, make a career, have a job. So we left, my dad. But then financial problems happened. I started working when I was 18 instead of being in college and enjoying life. So I didn't really have a normal childhood, adult life. I started working to support my mom, support myself. So then my dad found out where we are and then he came to visit but there was this underlying fear about him towards him 
I don't want him to hit my mom. I don't want to hit him, hit me. I don't want him to come to my workplace and create a scene. And so all those things. So there was this, why are you coming back here? Why are you coming back in our lives? We don't want to be part of your life. But he never listened. I mean, he kept coming. And then when I got married, we didn't tell him. And he was not part of, our, of our, any of our weddings, all three of us. And then I got married and I came here. Then I went back to see my mom who decided to move back with my dad after I got married. And then I went to visit them. But at that time, my relationship with my dad was, dad was already strained. There was seven years of estrangement. And estrangement, is that the right word? Estrangement. We were estranged yes. for seven, eight years. So I really didn't have a relationship with him. So it was hard. And then we got into a verbal disagreements and yelling and screaming. So it just got worse and worse and worse. And then he came to visit us here when I had my kid, first child. And that didn't go well either. He was supposed to stay for three months and he decided to stay for one month and go back. So we just stopped talking. We just completely stopped talking. It was all with my mom. So I was holding on to a lot of resentment. Every time he was in my life, he was in front of me. My body would tighten up. And I was becoming very aware of the sensations in my body. I just didn't like how it felt. My gut would tighten up. Always had digestive issues. Never could figure out why. And now I know better because there was this anxiety, this tension, this fear that was making, I have I had all kinds of digestive troubles because of that. So I literally hated him for what he did and, and you know, forcing his beliefs and his conditioning on us and trying to change our lives or control our lives including my mom's, who went through some serious surgeries because of his physical abuse. And that's something I struggled with. So eventually after he left, this was back in 2009, 2009 my father-in-law passed away. And that was the time when I called my, mo my mom to let her know that my father-in-law passed away and he, my dad picked up the phone. And that was the, that was one conversation I had after two years of not talking to him at all. There was no conversation. And then I talked to him and I told him Then he handed over the phone to my mom. And then two months later, my dad passed away. So when my dad passed away, I mean, there was a weird silence I felt. I just, I guess, I, I didn't feel, I, I cried, but there was no feeling. It was like dead feeling. So that was the weird feeling that was, it was just a weird way of feeling his passing. I was not feeling any remorse. I guess I felt free in a way, my mom, for my mom, for myself. And then that's when, so that was 2009. Then 2010, I was dealing with a lot of anxiety. So what happened, the transition happened in 2010 when I was, so I had gained a lot of weight after my kids were born. So I knew I had to lose weight to become healthier for my children. So I did lose a lot of weight, but then I started becoming competitive and I started doing distance running, competitive distance running, and my body started to fight it in the way that I started getting hives and my knees would bruise up. So I had to take a step back to figure out what's going on with this. So I felt like there was a lot of anxiety. That's when I started to connect with myself in a, on a deeper way, on an inner level, there was a lot of anxiety, a lot of resentment, a lot of hatred, a lot of tightness, a lot of all these feelings, sensations that I never, I didn't like. I didn't want to feel this way. I guess that was a breaking moment for me, breaking point. Somebody, a friend of mine was doing yoga at the time. I asked her, hey, do you know someone who does yoga, who teaches yoga? I want something to help with my anxiety. She said, yeah, go to this place, slow yoga. Okay. I went to a class, felt good. 
to move my body, move my body a different way instead of competitive running. So I was doing that once a week. But then right before that, I just started, something told me in my head that start meditation, just sit, just sit. So I just sat. Yoga came a little bit later, but meditation started first. And I used to sit every day I sat. Part When I'm sitting, I was most very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. But I sat. I knew that consistency is key. I need to sit. I need to sit. Whether I sit for one minute, 30 seconds, two minutes, I don't care. I'm going to sit. I'm going to sit. I'm going to sit. So I started sitting. I started meditating. And then after that, I started doing yoga. That helped a little bit with my anxiety, especially the last pose, the Shavasana, the corpse pose. So I'd continue doing that for some time. Meditation, I stuck with it. Yoga was, I was dabbling around. Then finally, I gave up the idea of running. I still have it at competitive sites. So I hopped on the bike. And spinning did not cause all that heat rash and hives and all that stuff. So I said, you know what, I'll just do spinning. So I started spinning and I enjoyed that, working out and stuff. But I continued to do meditation that I stuck with. Earlier, I was using all kinds of modalities like music and mantras and all that stuff. But eventually, I just something about that silence. It was moments I was feeling like this quietness that I'd never felt before. And I felt connected. It was just like a brief second, a second, two seconds of silence that I was feeling. And I said, you know what? There's something about that silence that feels very calling to me. I need to, f- I need to find more. What is this silence? Why does this, feeling, why does this feel so good? So I continue with my meditation and then by universal or divine intervention 2014, somebody told me, why don't you become a yoga teacher and also an Ayurvedic counselor? I mean, I was was kind of digging into Ayurveda at the time with all my hives and everything, understanding my constitution and why running is not good for my vata body, which is one of the three constitutions of Ayurveda. It's my body is vata and this pounding on the pavement is not good for my body. And I have high pitta also, which was, I mean, all this running, competitive running was giving me all these hives. So I started enjoying Ayurveda and the knowledge, the information I was getting to find something that works for me. So apparently yoga works great for me. So I continued staying in yoga and I continued meditation and I started, I went and ventured out and I thought, you know what, I'll become a yoga teacher. I asked my husband, he said, sure, do what you want to do. I never thought at the age of 40, I can do yoga with bending my body in all these different shapes and forget about doing, teaching to people. But I thought something about, I went to this yoga studio, I met the owner, I knew I was home. Signed up, did my course, did an Ayurvedic counseling course, and then I started teaching. And I can't believe I enjoyed teaching so much. I never thought I'd be in front of people and I didn't want to teach, but I started teaching. Now, during this time, when I started teaching yoga and I was doing, by that time, my meditation practice had increased. The timing had increased. I was enjoying the quietness, no music, no mantras. I was doing my own practice. That's when I started reading Eckhart Tolle and I was reading um, all these books. I went to a Vipassana meditation for 10 days. And during those 10 days, that was the most brutal thing I've ever done in my entire life. Not to be able to talk. You can't talk. You can't write. You can exercise. You can do yoga. You can do anything. You just sit. Sit with your thoughts. Sit with the discomfort. And I was literally looking at my car far away and like, I can't wait to get out of here and run as fast as I can. So the the discomfort I was feeling, that's when I started to process, what is this? And then I thought about my dad. And then I thought, there's a lot of resentment. There's a lot of hatred. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of, I need to work through this. So I started journaling. 
I started writing down these thoughts, these feelings, the, even the smallest feeling, the clenching of, I, I can feel my toes also tightening. And I started jotting down. I started writing journals and pages after pages after pages. And then it started to all come together that there is a lot of hatred, a lot of resentment towards my father, towards my brother, for my for the bullying, for not being wanted as a child, as a girl child or whatever, not seen, not being not being seen, not being accepted for who I am, including my in-laws who also told me that, oh, you're so fat, you should lose weight. Oh, you're so thin, you should gain some weight. Constantly try, try to change my so this con this everybody trying to control my life starting from the time I was born instead of me knowing what I wanted. And that when that's when I started to process all this. And this was back in 2014, 15. And I knew that I had to, in order to free myself, in order to live the life I want to live on my terms, I need to forgive. I have to forgive, which was very hard for me. It was so hard. A lot of emotions came out, a lot of, like, it was just catharsis. I mean, I was going through this, like, I felt like I needed to throw up. And there was a lot of release happening in so many different ways. But I continued to journal, continued to write, continued to meditate on it, nature walks, whatever I needed to do to let this healing process begin. I needed to heal myself. I also was diagnosed at the same time with an autoimmune condition too. And I knew all this is happening because of all these pent-up emotions that I have. And it's not serving me. In order to live my purpose, in order to be the best teacher out there to my students, in order to be a best parent to my kids, in order to be a best wife, a best human, I need to heal myself. And I had to forgive the people who have hurt me. Then I started the healing process. And I, my dad was already gone by then. I couldn't let him know that I forgave him. But I did let my mom know that I'm sorry. I, I forgive you for you knew you did your best as a parent. I mean, you had certain tools and whatever, however you raised me, you did your best as a parent. And now that I'm a parent, I better understand that. So I forgave her. She accepted my apology. I forgave my brother. And then... Uh, so that's where I started this process. And ever since I started doing that, I actually healed myself from all, both the autoimmune conditions. I don't have them anymore. There is no symptoms at all. The work is not done, but I'm, it's still, but at least I have done a lot of work in order to heal myself. It's not about them, basically. What I would like to say is it's not about the other person. It's about yourself. Because when you are, when you're holding on to resentment, it's not affecting the other person. It's affecting you. It's affecting your health, and your mindset, your mentality, your everything, the relationships. So in order to heal, to be a better human being, to be a better person, a better wife, mother, sister, brother, daughter, whatever, we need to release the grudge. So this is how the process began. So, sir, you have some people might be listening and saying, hey, I want to I want to release the grudge. I'm holding on to this grievance and it stinks. I feel like, you know, I'm I'm I I want to be putting the dagger in someone else, but every time I think I am, I'm pushing it deeper into me. And I want to let this go, but I how, how do you let it go? How? It's just it's too much. It's a lot. Sometimes for for people depends I mean everybody is different. The, the thing is that some people carry a lot of PTSD. And that is deep stuff. That's really deep stuff. I mean, anything that resonates or reminds you of that person, anybody can doesn't have to be that person. Even a situation, if another person can trigger the trauma, 
that one person has gone through with that one particular person in their lives. So for people like that, it's better. It's it's always good to talk to someone, I would say. I mean, I didn't need to talk to anyone. I guess I'm the kind of person who likes to do the work quietly with myself. I don't really like to talk about it, even though people have suggested, why don't you go get counseling for your anger and whatnot? Like, I just can't. It's just, it's a work I have to do on my own. But for some people, it's a lot. It's a lot for them to process. It's a lot for them to deal with. It's it's hard. It's very hard when you get triggered by anything that reminds you of that situation, the circumstances of that person. So for them, it's, it's I, I would, I would like them. I mean, it's, it's a better idea. My suggestion would be, again, this is my take, is to talk to the, the professional and get it off your chest. Start that process by just getting it off your chest because we keep holding it and holding it and holding it. And the body starts to register all that trauma in its cellular system. So anytime there is something that triggers it, then the body starts to react in ways. For me, it was hives and all this weird stuff and tension and my stomach used to go in knots and digestion digestive issues for some people it can be more than that some people can get autoimmune conditions and real serious health problems it's always good to get it off of it's it's important to get it off your out of your system that's the first step to get it out of your system which means for me journaling helped writing it down writing 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 i have written so many i can't i lost count how many journals i've written for some people, it might be better to talk to someone you can trust. Just get it off out of your system first. Someone you can trust. That might be a good place to start. And then as things start to come out and still, still it's it's like, again, going through the catharsis. It's like releasing, releasing. It feels it's hard. It's difficult because we don't want to be judged. There's this fear of being judged. There's fear of, I don't want people to think I'm stupid or I'm going through this stuff and I'm bad. I'm, I'm No, nobody is bad. Bad things happen to us, but nobody is bad. Unfortunately, bad things happen. Everybody has some sort of trauma. It doesn't have to be a big trauma. It can be a small trauma. And even a small trauma can get triggered. For me, that used to get triggered by anybody who is, reminds me of my dad or my brother or those people who have bullied me. So that's why I used to push people away. So anything can remind, it's just that you need to get it out of your system. That's more important. It's you need to get it out of your cellular system. And the f- ways it works is you can talk, you can write. So that's that's what I would suggest. I'm going to jump in for a moment here um, because this is um, completely in alignment with the course. You, We've all been traumatized. And it's not only what bad things do to good people or anything like that. It's that we have an ego and the ego is made to attack. Yes. So anything that reminds us where we're not in our right mind of witnessing and being in that space, we identify with the ego and the littlest thing, things we don't even know about, like the sun coming in the wrong way in a window and, and, and when you're an infant, you know, we, we just don't know. We're constantly suffering every single one of us from post-traumatic stress disorder of, a, of a kind within the course, which is called the ego. And in your, your, the realization that you're only hurting yourself with resentment, it reminds me of a story when I was a little girl. I think I was actually around 10. My mother came home and she was 
very, very upset because her business partner did something that was just egregious to her. And how could he have done this? And and this was pre her finding the course. Um, and she she was so upset. And she was telling us at dinner for like 15 minutes we were listening to this. And I remember looking up at her and she used to tell the story a lot, which makes me remember it. Um, I looked at her and I said, so mom, just tell me, is your, do you think your business partner is enjoying his dinner right now? And she stopped and she said, I'll bet he is. And I said, well, wouldn't you like to? (laughs) And there it was, you know, it was only hurting my mother. It wasn't hurting him. He was just going along. So, so the, you know, it, it was almost like in the world of the ego to understand this, the best revenge is feeling good yourself and not letting it get to you. Um, in the, in terms of the course, the best truth is going back to being oneself. And that's that's, what the path that you're saying. Our concept for a lot of people because people are not there, not, not, not a lot of people are there. I mean, it would be nice if everybody picked up the book. Yeah. It's just that it's, it's people don't understand the concept of ego. I mean, we don't, we do because we have read the book. We are practicing meditations. We do. I mean, we are spiritual beings. We understand that. But the common man, like for my husband, he mm-hmm. doesn't, it's like, if I talk to him about spirituality, your ego, he's like, what is ego? Right. They, but- because they identify with, their ego as that's who I am. This is me, Sunila Sija. This is I am. This blah blah blah. This is my. I'm 51 years old. I'm a blah blah blah. This is how they identify with all their different roles and their names and their age and their gender and their nationality and their religion and blah 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 blah. But beyond that, if you take all these layers off, if you take all these identities away from you, what is left? That is who you are. Well, they don't understand mm-hmm. that concept. We do. But but I will interrupt to say this one thing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't the matter. The point of the course is it doesn't matter what other people are thinking we are, whether they understand ego or not. The more one, you, me, do the practice, yes. the more that boundary dissolves. And one of the beautiful side effects seems to be quite often, that our partners or the people around us who we've been seeing as not seeing start to feel differently. And it's through 100%. the feeling that it happens, not through the seeing. And 100%. it's like, why am I feeling more loving with my partner? Because yeah. the partner is the one, the person practicing the course, for instance, yeah. is the one experiencing it differently and not even holding the belief that that other person isn't seeing it, but that they are. I agree. And, and that's that's just as the as the practice deepens. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I've noticed that in my own relationships ever since I released all that grudge and resentment, my relationships got better. I became a better person. I got more patience. I got more kindness. I got more empathy. I got more tolerance. It's just that I have changed, and I can see that my my people around me are also noticing that, and there is a lot of connection, acceptance. It's all there. Yes. Yeah. It's all there. That's just yep. it. And, and everything starts to dissolve into into more loving and yes. more loving and deeper yes. loving. And um and, and it's beautiful that you just that understanding that so many parents have, if they're reflective at all, oh, yeah. that's why my parent did that or you know, sacrificed this or did that. Whereas a child we might have felt like uh, 
why is my parent doing that? That's ridiculous. Or they have no spine. And once you become a parent, it's like, oh, for the sake of the children, for the sake of me, they actually did that. Uh, perhaps, you know, that's a perspective that that can come, which brings compassion. Yes. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Really beautiful that, that you chose that path. Yes, it just came by divine intervention. It was like I forced... It felt like I was, there was a voice in my head that kept, there was like a, some, some kind of force, some kind of power forced me to get on this path. Yeah. It was not something that I was thinking. It's not intellectual. It's not something that, okay, I'm going to become a yoga teacher and I'm going to become a meditation teacher. I'm going to be doing this, 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 this. No, it's just like there was an intervention. There was an intervention big time. It's just that if you become silent enough, you can hear that. You can mm -hmm. hear that. You can feel that the calling it's just that we have so much noise in our heads that we, we don't we're not silent enough we can't hear that voices we yeah. can't hear those voices and also if you look at it i mean it, it's all in perspective too in this yeah. um maybe it was never divine intervention but it was your path all along yeah. to literally have this family to experience these experiences until one day you start to wake up from it and that was the intelligent plan, the, the higher intelligence all along. Yes. Yes. Which is you waking yourself up. Yes. I believe that. So, Suryo, now when you think about your father, your brother, your sister, what what kind of experience is it in your mind? Like what emotions come up? Compassion. That's good. Deep compassion. They did their best with the knowledge that they had. Yeah. Knowing that it's very liberating, freeing to know that I know sometimes my sister and me and her talk, she's she's coming from a different, she's been through some her her own struggles in life and where she comes from, her energy is just sometimes too much for me to handle. There's a lot of toxic energy sometimes and I, so I can't avoid her. She lives in India, I'm here. But I limit my conversations with her. I keep it to a minimum where I know that because I'm I, I pick up energies pretty easily on people. I in the sense that not on people, from people. I absorb energy very easily. So I have to be very careful about the kind of conversations I am having, the kind of people I'm surrounding with. And I guess the more mature I'm getting in my practice, in my meditation practice, reading the course, doing my yoga practice, the more I am learning to create boundaries because I know that. I don't want to get triggered and I don't want, I have done a lot of work on myself and there's still a lot of work to be done, but I have to create these boundaries so that my sister can come across a little bit too, too much for me to handle. So I limit my conversations with her, but I am with my mother, a lot of compassion. She has been through a lot and knowing that where she came from with the limited back then, you know, back in 1950s, 60s, 70s, times were different different upbringing, different circumstances. So whatever, she was married at the age of, age of 18. She was a child herself. So knowing all of that, she did her best. And then again with my dad, he hadn't, uh, he didn't have a mother growing up. He was raised by his aunt who was herself a child, 19 years old. So you're being raised by a child. You don't have a mother. So he didn't have that, the bonding. And he didn't have that mother figure. So he came from a different upbringing so whatever he could he did his best so does my brother my brother and my relationship is good now 
and we talk a lot on the on, we talk we have taxis award him he's a man of few words and i respect that and we keep it at that i send him a message once in a while he responds back right away and his response is very respectful and i can it's not just he has changed but i know i have changed i have grown i have released a lot of stuff and i have nothing but compassion for all these people so my words the words i'm choosing to write to him i can see the words i'm writing is very respectful and compassionate towards him so exactly that's what i'm attracting back from him so exactly so what you put out there is what exactly the universe is going to match your vibration it's going to give you exactly what you're putting out there that's one thing i know for a fact so it's really important for me the kind of people the kind of energies the kind of books i'm reading the kind of shows i'm watching the kind of thoughts in my head i have to be very cognizant about what is it and i have to be very mindful about energy toxicity especially because i am so i absorb energy right away from people. you're an empath it's going to happen i'm empathic 100% but i will i, I just want to go back for one moment to um your incredible suggestions um more than advice about talking about trauma mm-hmm. and um whether it's journaling whether it's um you know talking to a therapist um however it is that i just wanted to add that it's really important as you did it with the intent of releasing it yes. because otherwise one can get trapped in the victim mentality story and so yes. you can repeat your story over and over again so it becomes more real and it becomes more agitating every time you tell it and it becomes more concretized but if you do it with the intent and even prayer to please help me release this then you get the support that's needed yes i mean if you're talking need... to someone when you're talking to someone first of all you have to ask yourself why am i here and why do i want to talk yes so if you have to be very careful about the words if you are making it about the other person that person did this to me that person did this to me that person did this to me that person did this i mean that is where you're kind of going in the wrong direction about being a victim and then this perpetrator has attacked you in ways instead of that this is just too much for me to handle i can't handle it anymore it's just overwhelming it's wrecking my entire life my health and i need help so i need to get this out of my system i need to purge what can i do and then okay what happened and then okay this person i had this encounter whatever i mean instead of like you said instead of going into the victimhood direction think about the intention of releasing letting go so when you le- you release all this negativity or all this toxic stuff that's circulating in your system if you release that you release you heal that you heal that with light yes replace that with the healing light exactly and if you're exactly. with a good therapist you can exactly. even start out saying he she did that to me but the therapist will guide you along that path but exactly. if you're not and yeah. you use something like journaling then it is important to remember in the journaling after you get out your story and get it out any way you want uh with the then you move to the prayer of how do i release this and yeah. in the course it says all you need is a little willingness and and basically this is my words angels will rush in to help 100% a surrender to just trust surrender i put it all out there surrender to the higher power i've done everything i possibly can now you take over 
Exactly. You guide me and I exactly. put 100% trust in your hands and just letting go. It's like stopping the uphill battle and yeah. just go with the flow. Let the universe guide you. It's a, it's a scary process. A lot of people don't believe in that. It's a hard place to be. What am I trusting? Who am I trusting? Because we believe in like tangible things to believe in, you know, but it's something that's, you don't, you don't know there is something that is there because we like to be in control. It's a lot of conditioning. So it's trusting something that is not tangible. It's hard. It's scary place to be. It's a lot. It's a, it's a lot of fear for a lot of people. It is, but that's what's so wonderful about the course because it says you do not need a hundred percent trust. You need 1%. 1% will get you there. Willingness, just the willingness to ask for help is yes. all you need. That's it. Yeah. It's it's such a beautiful con, you know, concept because the idea of I need to trust a hundred percent is never gonna get me there. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's just like okay. It yeah, becomes I mean, like a hundred percent. Like you said, finding the right us. counselor who can actually guide you. And if you decide to do journaling, journaling is not about what to think, what to write. I mean, not thinking through it's it's a process not coming from your head. It's a process that coming from your heart. Right. And it doesn't, and the beautiful thing about journaling for me personally is that journal, journal doesn't judge you. It doesn't talk back. It's not going to tell your story to somebody else. You know, you can just, you can just completely bear yourself in your journal. Yeah. And, and nobody will ever have to know. And, and if it's be, online, you can yeah. delete it. And if it's on paper, you can burn it when you're yes. ready to really release it. So it's not even sitting 100% in out there. Yeah. When you're talking to a counselor, sometimes we are hesitant to completely put ourselves out there. It's completely, it's hard for a lot of people to just completely bear it. Yeah. But when you're journaling or writing or typing or whatever on the computer, you can actually be 100% yeah. because you know that journalists is not going to share your information or judge you back. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Sorry. go ahead, Matt. No, so, no, no, no. You're going to say what we need to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, Surya, I'm curious what you do when you do get triggered and you get off track and the emotions come up and there's pain. Maybe you've healed some some of the pain, but there's still some other residual or from some some other relationship and it's still there. Come back. It's in your face. You said you're empathic. You are easily tuned into others' pain. How do you kind of recenter yourself and get back on track? So thankfully, my meditation and yoga practice is strong enough for me. It's like my anchor. So mm-hmm. whenever I feel like I got triggered, I just step away. Instead of retaliating, I used to retaliate right away. I used to right away just fight back quick. It was so quick. It was just like automatic. I was on autopilot. But now I just take a moment. I sit with it. And I think in my head, well, when I have, I step away and I recollect, I kind of go back and repeat the conversation I had with this particular person. And then I ask myself, did I say something that triggered that person? So I have to revisit my words, what came out of my mouth. And maybe I triggered that person in a way that they felt triggered And everybody has, we all have those traumas. We all get triggered by something. So maybe that person's way of defense was to turn the tables on me and blame me. And that's what triggered me. So we all have those, I have to be, first of all, I have to come to a place of compassion for the other person. 
that this person did not intentionally attack me or the situation happened didn't happen to me. It happened. But why did that person say that? What did I do to trigger that person? So I have to reflect on myself, my own actions, my own words, everything that I'm doing. And thankfully, I, it's still work in progress. It's not easy. It's not a piece of cake for me. I'm honestly still, there are moments when I get triggered right away and I'm like, okay. And then I probably scream or yell or whatever. And I just walk away. And then I do I like it? No, nobody likes yelling. Nobody likes to be yelling at somebody and nobody feels great after yelling and screaming at someone. We all feel kind of terrible and I feel horrible, but then I check in. So that is like a, so I don't, the thing is don't feel bad if that happens. Don't feel guilty because we cannot be perfect all the time. It's a work in progress. It's just that if you continue to learn from those moments where you get triggered and reflect instead of becoming like an autopilot and keep doing it over and over again, like a hamster on a wheel, get off that heat wheel sometimes and reflect on the whole situation and then learn from it. So the next time when that happens, before reacting, pause for a second and reflect, okay, what happened just now? What happened? What did I say? And what part of me is getting triggered? Now, this person, now, now with my, my husband, so there is a small situation here. My dad was all, always financial, like he was money, cra- money, 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 money. It was always on his mind. All he was, this is a waste of money buying that. That's a waste of money. You don't need this. You don't need that. You don't need this. You don't. So it has been ingrained in me. And I feel guilty about buying or wanting anything. So when I had a job, I was independent at 18. I had my money flowing. I was working. I had my salary. I was spending away. I didn't have to answer anybody. Eight years, I enjoyed that. Then my husband was also the same way. He is. He's not, he's not as bad as my dad. My dad was controlling. My husband is not. But my husband's, again, has been like this about money, you know, saving money, looking for coupons all the time. And I was not used to getting coupons in India. We don't care about coupons. We just go and buy whatever. So I had to train myself to get, now it's become a mindset. Now he's making good money in Michigan. Back in 2016, he lost his job, a job that he had for, before I even came here, since 1996, he lost his job after 20 years. So he didn't have a job for four years and we ended up on food stamps. And I have two kids to raise. We have a mortgage to pay. And so it it was a hard time for us, but good news is, thankfully, my dad had trained me enough, you know, with money that I knew how to live in the small. I mean, even when I had a job at 18, I was living with my mom in a small, tiny one room. We used to share, we shared, me, my mom, my sister. We had one room. We slept on the floor. We lived a hard life. So I have been there. So it was easy for me to get used to that four years of not having enough money. We went in a lot of debt. But then he got a job, which wasn't paying much, but at least he had a job. Slowly, we started digging our way out of the financial crisis. And then he got this job in Michigan, which is paying great. So we moved here and now we are doing well. But that mindset is still there. But then I had to do the work on every time I want something, every time I want to try, I want to buy something. My husband says, oh, this, that, how much, blah, blah, blah. I'm thinking in my head, why am I getting triggered? So what is this bringing up? Why do I, why do we always have? fights over money. So I had to go back. I had to do journaling. I had to reflect on it. I had to go really back when my dad used to do that. So I am seeing my dad and my husband. 
So I had to do work on that. And then I had to separate the two. My husband is not my dad. My dad's situation was different. His struggle, his control with money came from a different place. My husband's control with money came from a different place, but he's not controlling. They're completely different. My dad wouldn't even meet our little wants. Like, you know, as five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old, we wanted candy. No, you don't need a candy. My husband doesn't care about those things. My children, we used to, he spends money like, it's just that he's, why do, I mean, can we buy it? Can we wait? Can we wait till next month? So those, so I struggled. So I had to do the work on myself. I had to figure this out that why am I getting triggered every time maybe money problems, money conversations come up. So I had to go back and I had to separate the two, knowing that this is different, that is different. His situation background is different. So the moment I started working on this, now I have become a little bit more compassionate towards where my husband is coming from. My relationship has become different. Every time there is a money thing, before he even has to say anything, I am cognizant. And I am aware, do I really need this? Can I wait till next month? Okay, if I want this, I'll tell him. And if he tells me that, oh, can we wait till next month? It doesn't bother me anymore. Honestly, it doesn't trigger anything anymore for me. So why am I so impulsive about these things? So I had to work on my impulse. Why do I feel the impulse to get it right now? Why can't I wait for two weeks? Why can't I wait for two months? Why do I want it right now? So what am I trying to fill? What kind of void am I trying to fill with that satisfaction of having that thing right now? So I had to do that work as well as the work on my husband that every time he brings the money stuff up, reminds me of my dad. So those two things I figured out. And now now it's no, it's a, it's become so much easier, so much easier. So this is how I've been working on triggers. My daughter sometimes, she's a teenager. She's 18 years old. She's become an adult very recently. And now she keeps reminding me, mom, I'm 18. I'm an adult. Mm-hmm. So it's it's hard. It's hardwired into you and you have to process that. You have to work through that. So thankfully, again, another teacher, Course in Miracles was definitely my anchor, my guiding light. But again, um, another teacher, uh, Michael Singer, his book, Surrender, has been, again, a great anchor for me. Where am I? Where am I trying to control? Can I let that go? Can I surrender? How am I going to feel when I surrender? What happens? So I have to have to do all that work, all that work on myself, yeah, to be okay. It was a lot of it's 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 not easy. It was a hard good work, but I'm you. still. It is hard. Yeah, really good for you. I just want to point out, just with a smile, that you know, with with your daughter. And you say, well, she's an adult. And she says she's an adult and she's 18. You've also <laughs> said a couple of times in in this telling, in this narrative, each time you look at someone who was 18, including yourself, what a child they were. Yeah. When you were 18, you were a child. When you, your mother was 18, you know, and she got yeah. married, she was a child. Yeah. So when we are parents, we do know the two aspects of feeling like you're an adult at 18, but also they they have a lot that's still childlike about them yes. and, and their frontal lobe is not even developed until they're 26. So hundred percent. That's the, that's the strong. I didn't realize that until, until a few years ago, I didn't know that. And I, ever since I figured that out, I'm like, okay, yeah, she's a yeah. child. I mean, that's, she's going to be a child till she's 25. There's a lot of going to be impulsive decisions. I just have right. to sit and watch and let her know we are here for you when you need us, but it's mm-hmm. not my job to tell her what to do anymore 
And that yeah. is actually liberating. A lot of parents I see, they're <laughs> like, oh my God, my my daughter is doing this. My son is doing I'm like, I am so happy, honestly. The day she turned 18, I'm like, oh, I don't have to worry about telling her what to do anymore. She can, I'll just be here. And she knows I'm here when she needs me. Wonderful. But I want to see her life unravel because this is her experience. <laughs> this is her life story. She needs to create she has to go through her struggles as a parent. Yes, you don't want your child to suffer. You don't want to see it. But again, suffering is the, the doorway. You have to go through those dark tunnels to see the light. She has to go through that struggle. She has to fall on her face multiple times to get up and get up and get up again. Well said, Surya. Now, we have a tradition of asking your favorite comfort food. Please tell us. <laughs> Well, I don't know how much experience of Indian food you had. Lots. A lot. So do you know about South Indian food? Uh-huh. So my favorite food is idli, I-D-L-I. It's mm. a little rice and lentil dumplings. So they are Delicious. soaked overnight, then they're ferment, they're grinded, and then they're fermented. And then you add a little salt, and then you steam them in little, like little containers. And then you enjoy that with sambar, which is like a soupy, spicy broth kind of thing with a lot of vegetables in it and some coconut chutney. So this is my all-time, all-time comfort food. Wow, Yum. that's good. Sounds like it's balanced for your dosha too. Yes, it is. It's really, every time I think about it, my mouth starts to salivate. So I know <laughs> I can eat it all the time, 24-7. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Well, Surya, Thanks so much for coming on Miracle Voices and sharing your Miracle Voice. We really appreciate it. Before we let you go, is there any place you want to point listeners to connect with you online? I do have my website. It's okay. uh, Moksha, M-O-K-S-H-A. That's like coincidentally, Moksha also means liberation, freedom. Mm -hmm. So Moksha, M-O-K-S-H-A, yoga, Y-O-G-A, and A-N-D, wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S dot -E com. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening today. Please subscribe to Miracle Voices by hitting the subscribe button on your podcast app. If you are enjoying these conversations, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcast app you use. And lastly, please visit us at miraclevoices.org and join our newsletter so we can stay connected. Until the next podcast, I want to leave you with my favorite course quote, when you want only love, you will see nothing else. Mm -hmm.